service itself is the negative polarity and uh raw uses those terms just in like the sense of like like an electron has a positive or negative charge mm-hmm. it doesn't mean the good path and the bad path mm-hmm. the way they see it is all, both are equally valid you can have whatever experience you want and um you know in a very real sense like you said we need the negative path to serve mm-hmm. as the, the the contrast to understand the positive path so everything serves its rightful purpose yeah and you know there's like there's two different ways to know what foods you like mm-hmm. you can just only ever eat foods you like or you can also try foods you don't like and get a new perspective on why you like the foods you like gain a d- deeper appreciation right so that's kind of what the negative path does for us but basically what raw explains is that we lie in this middle ground between the positive and negative path here in third density and part of what the whole purpose of third density is is the introduction of polarity of duality positive negative mm-hmm. and so what ra says is when the mind body spirit complex becomes aware of the option of serving others or serving myself then the mind body spirit complex gets activated and you basically choose one of those two polarities and then after the choosing you continue your journey evolving up the densities of consciousness on that path and so ra says to be eligible to be a quote unquote positively oriented being you need to be at least 51% or more service to others oriented you got to accentuate the positive You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Well, do I have another delicious young man to introduce you to today. His name is Aaron Abke. He says, Aaron, I say Aaron, welcome to the show. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, how do you pronounce your name? Um, Aaron. Aaron, sort of like with an E. You can pronounce it however you want. (laughs) Well, I would say Aaron, but I can say Aaron. So I call myself Aaron. As long as you don't say A.A. Ron, we're going to be friends. A.A.? A.A. Ron, have you heard that? Oh, no, A.A. Ron. Oh, A.A. Ron. YouTube sketch. It's a long story, but everybody calls me A.A. Ron to be funny. Oh, okay. No, I haven't heard that. Like, oh, I haven't heard that one before. (laughs) I pronounce my name Karen, not Karen. And people think it's my cute Australian accent, but it's actually was my mother's insistence that people call me Karen, like the hard A. So Aaron, Karen. Karen, Karen. Americans have real problem with it. They sort of go, Karen. I go, Karen. Karen. <laughs> so I was just telling Aaron, Aaron, that I just love what he's doing. I just love what you're doing. And when I see the young ones coming through like you who are so clear and so on it and like got all these creative skills, like photography skills and connection skills, connection to the source and the, the availability to actually communicate that in a really clear way. I feel like I can just sit back on the couch and relax and go, oh, we'll be fine. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> the earth is we're in good hands. hands. Let me read your bio and then we're going to get into your story because I love your story, actually. You've got it on your YouTube channel, but we'll sort of mm-hmm. get into it here. 
Aaron Abke was born and raised as a pastor's son in the Silicon Valley of California. Like his father, Aaron wanted to work in church ministry and went to college at Oral Roberts University. Is that how you mm -hmm. say it? Yeah. In Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, graduating nice. uh, with a bachelor's degree in music and theology. He spent one year working as a full-time worship pastor at a church in San Jose until he eventually felt the call to leave his religion and pursue a deeper, more authentic spirituality when he was around 23. I want to get into that and ask you why. At 27, you had a dramatic spiritual awakening that changed the course of your life. You were working as a signed fitness model in San Francisco and competing at the national level in men's bodybuilding at the time and completely walked out of your former life into a brand new one and a new way of being. Aaron's passion is to share the path of inner freedom and self-realization with the world. And you're doing a, you're making a good crack at it because your YouTube <laughs> channel is exploding. And he does this via his YouTube channel, social media, meditation classes, workshops, and seminars. You believe, Aaron believes, that lasting joy and peace are everyone's birthright and are attainable for anyone who truly desires it. In teaching self-empowerment, Aaron's main areas of focus are understanding the ego, self-love, forgiveness, and inner peace. Now, on your YouTube, you've got a few uh, shows. <laughs> mm -hmm. I see this creative mind not being able to decide which way to go. So mm -hmm. I'll just do all of it. <laughs> yep. Moving backwards, saving Christianity from fundamentalism, which is fascinating. Yep. Heal Thyself with Your Beautiful, Gorgeous, Delicious Partner. Uh, <laughs> mind Science. I love the one, The Nature of God. I think that's beautiful. I want to discuss that. The Law of Attraction series. The Law of One series. A Course in Miracles. Guided Meditations. Empower Hour. Awakening Blog. Q&A and more. So you've been really prolific on the YouTube channel. You got it covered, Karen. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, you've done your research. I have. I've been a bit, I've been kind of stalking you. <laughs> and I have. I like there's I, much else to do right now, right? <laughs> I really like what you're doing. I, I really like what you're doing. I really like the way you're communicating the message. I'm a fan. All right. So let's get into it. Why did you walk away? So you have said in many, um, on your show and on other people's shows, that you, unlike other many pastor's sons, you were not the rebellious type that said, you know, I'm not going to believe what my parents believe. I'm going to do it my way. You were a good little boy and you worshipped your dad and you thought that what he was doing was really cool and you wanted to be mm -hmm. just like him. And so you were like this really good little boy and you wanted to serve God. And mm -hmm. why did you walk away from that at 23? Well, it's kind of a long journey. You know, when you grow up in a religion, it's, um, it's your whole paradigm. It's your whole identity. Uh, it's your whole reference frame for reality. So there were certain beliefs about uh, in Christianity that didn't resonate with me for a long time. But, you know, you have to go through that struggle of like, ah, but if I pull this one card out, the whole house comes down. So maybe we should just be careful here. And I was afraid of that happening. If I question this, then what if everything else isn't true? So it took me a while to, I guess, get frustrated and agitated enough with those beliefs 
And uh, what life did for me was put me in a church that was very different than the one I grew up in. Uh, my dad was uh, very much like a, he would preach about the love of God, the goodness of God. I never heard him preach a single sermon on hell or hellfire damnation, any of that stuff. So I wasn't really exposed or like, I didn't have to listen to that stuff very much. It was kind of like the beliefs we don't talk about. And when I went to this church after college, the church I worked at for a year, they were very much like fundamentalist and uh, not very progressive, very unprogressive actually. They wouldn't even let women speak on stage, for example. And that was the first big shocker to me was, um, it was like my second or third Sunday there. And they had a woman on stage who was going to give the um, offering, you know, testimony. Like, here's why you should give. I gave and God blessed me, da, da, da. And there's this man standing behind her, right, with his arms folded, looking very stoic. And I thought to myself, is that a security guard standing behind her? Because he's not dressed like one. He's dressed like a normal guy. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, there's no way this is happening. Sure enough, they, when she's done speaking, they walk off stage and they hold hands and sit down next to each other. And I went, oh my God, I'm in that kind of church. Because, you know, there's verses in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul is very um, begrudging towards women. They should not speak in church. It's shameful. They should cover their heads. They should keep quiet and talk to their husbands at home. It's, it's not appropriate for them to speak in church. And so this church followed that, you know. I mean, good on them. If they're going to say the Bible's inerrant, then I guess they're <laughs> actually doing it. So that's good. But uh, that was very, very nauseating to watch. And so I immediately felt like, oh, this might be a rough ride. And it was. After three months there, I was dying to get out. I could not leave fast enough. I was hearing all this crap about hell all the time. The Bible's the inerrant word of God. Da, da, da. And so I was exposed to those beliefs that I didn't have to really face much. Kind of like how sometimes we get life forces us to face some part of our shadow that we've been hiding from our whole life. It was kind of like that, but with my religion. So I gave my pastor uh, three months notice because I felt bad because they had kind of just hired me, um, you know, eight months before that. And uh, I wrote it out. It was really tough. And I basically moved back to Oklahoma where I went to college and was like, all right, I need to find, um, find out what I really believe. And so that's when I kind of started studying Eastern philosophy and other, uh, religions like Taoism, Zen, Hinduism, and so forth. I know you got into it, everything, Course in Miracles, Law of One, Law of Attraction teachings, channeling, you know, you got into it. You've kind of, it's like devouring information. Yeah, eventually. But, you know, as I listen to your story about the women not being able to speak in church, you know, from Western perspective, we can shake our heads and go, oh gosh, you know, all these women in the West that think they want to control the world, own the world. But this yeah. still goes on in our world, like in Eastern countries, in Muslim countries. It's true. You know, this is still so, can you believe we, we're in 2020, you know, in the midst of a pandemic and there are still, women are still not equal to men in so many ways. So, wow. Yeah. Alrighty. So what happens next? I, I feel like after you left the church, you had that sort of wilderness like that, that, that discovery of who I am, that wilderness, I think you've spoken about in one of your, you know, that wilderness. I think a lot of people who are having an awakening are in that wilderness, like they don't know what they believe. Um, they're just trying to find themselves. So yeah. uh, how, did you, how did you shift to where you are now? So tell us about the spiritual awakening you said at 27. Yeah. 
So the way that that happened, that's about four years later, I moved, eventually moved back to California and um, started dating a girl. Uh, the relationship was going really well for um, six months, I think. And then uh, she started having a lot of like psychological issues, like getting really angry for absolutely no reason. And as that kept happening, I thought to myself, something's not right here. Like we got to get you into a, a therapist to see what's going on. And I was looking up her symptoms and every single one of the symptoms of uh, borderline personality disorder, she checked the box three times, you know, and I was like, Oh, I, this sounds like what she's dealing with. So sure enough, she gets the diagnosis. You have BPD. And I was very much, um, you know, a lot more, I was very disempowered back then. Um, I thought that I, I should, I should stay in this relationship and, and keep taking this abuse. And, you know, she's got a, a, a mental health issue. So I should overlook that and just forgive her and let her do what she needs to do to me. And I'll be the virtuous one who just takes the abuse. Right. So that was creating a lot of suffering for me, especially because, um, basically my whole life, I, I only ever found myself or self-love through relationships. Um, if I didn't have a girlfriend, I felt worthless, you know? I needed somebody to love me to feel like I was lovable. And so that was kind of my big thorn to deal with. And so her being so abusive really reinforced that whole unworthiness thing. So all my shadow was coming up because of that. I became extremely depressed, but it's like, oh, I can't leave her. We live together. Who would I be without her? All that kind of stuff. So I was just putting myself through hell for no reason. I didn't have the um, level of, of self-respect to just walk away and do the right thing. So it was in that season where I was um, going up to the roof of, um, I worked at Google at the time, and there's this little like patio balcony on the second floor above my gym. And I would go there on my breaks and listen to Eckhart Tolle for like an hour. Because it was like the only thing that made me feel some sense of peace or uh, sanity, really. And so I was doing that for a couple of months, like every single day. And um, one day, just like any other day, I just had some kind of, you know, epiphany happen during a, a lecture I was listening to, where I saw like, internally, the truth of the matter that my everything I think is me, my ego, my identifications, my attachments, my insecurities, it's all just a software program. It's not actually who I am. And so I saw that for myself in a very visceral way. The way I describe it is kind of like, I was giving somebody, if I would give someone a tour of my mind and I open a door and say, okay, and behind this door is where I am. And so here's me. And I open the door and it's just like a bunch of factory machines running and steam coming out and there's nobody in the room. And I was like, wait, wait a second. It's just machines in here. Right? So that's kind of how my awakening happened. And it, it put me into this um, really remarkable state of consciousness for two weeks. Um, I call it like a two week free sample of enlightenment. <laughs> uh, it's kind of how it felt where I just, it was impossible for me to suffer. My, um, my perception was so clear and so innocent that um, everything I looked on was full of love and, and light and it was just, everything was perfect. And I would literally come home from work and I, I lost all sense of time. I forgot I had a cell phone on me and stuff like that. So I would be like walking around Google at like 6 p.m. after my shift was over and like looking around like, oh, isn't it wonderful? I'm like, oh, you know, I should probably go home. Go home and my girlfriend's like, where have you been? I've been waiting for it, sick. How could you do this to me? And she's screaming at me. And I'm sitting on the couch looking at her screaming at me and I'm just in bliss wow. while somebody's screaming at me. That so that's how like deep it was. 
That is then, very cool. That's very cool. It was very cool. But what happened after that was when I, uh, that state of consciousness showed me that I was actually being very unloving towards her and myself by staying in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that what I should have done is let her go on her own journey and let me go on mine because our relationship was dysfunctional and wasn't going to work. And so, oh yeah, I've been selfish here by taking this abuse and not giving her the space she needs. So I broke up with her and um, that was really hard for her. She didn't see that coming at all. And so she used crying and bellowing and begging me not to leave her. I'll do anything to keep you. And so seeing her really broken like that and getting text messages all day, every day, slowly kind of pulled me out of that state of consciousness and made me suffer again because I, I related to her. I, I was, I felt bad. And then I started to miss her and things like that. So I felt like I lost my enlightenment. Like I did something wrong and screwed it all up. Right. Yeah. 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 I want to stay on this point for a bit. Cause I think that all suffering is judgment of self. It's like yes. you're in bliss, but she's not. And then all of a sudden you're starting to judge yourself. I her caused pain. Her pain. I've caused yeah. her pain. Exactly. Yeah. So this is the, yeah, this is where we get trapped. All suffering is judgment of self. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Mm -hmm. So that's what really taught me. Not, not even taught me, but showed me and demonstrated to me that that true liberation is possible because mm -hmm. I experienced it for two weeks straight. Wow. So, mm -hmm. at, uh, you know, no excuses left for my ego. Right. Yeah. So at that point, uh, I became hyper obsessed with getting back to that state of consciousness right. that I felt like I lost. And so I would do the same things. I would walk by the same spot. I would sit in the same location, listen to the same Eckhart lecture, kind of waiting for it to strike. Yeah. Nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so that became a new kind of suffering, yeah. you know, chasing my enlightenment and feeling like, oh, am I not worthy of it? And all this stuff ego was doing. So what I came to the conclusion of was, all right, maybe that two week experience of total ecstasy was just a peak experience. Maybe it's not something that's meant um, 24 seven your whole life or whatever, right? Maybe it was a mountaintop experience. If that's true, then what is available on a permanent basis, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What am I really looking for? Mm -hmm. And it became clear that all I really want is inner peace. Um, I want to stop suffering. I, I was just suffering so much. I, I hated myself. I was severely depressed. I couldn't find a single reason to wake up in the morning and go through life. And I was tired of it. And so I started pursuing, um, you know, the... Advaita path towards liberation, the direct path, which is just to stay as awareness, to recognize there is no separate self that I believe I am. It's just an illusion the mind creates. And um, through studying a lot of Advaita, Kriya Yoga, and things like that, um, I started to deprogram a lot of those, you know, the unworthiness belief, um, hopelessness, um, loneliness, things like that, that were really plaguing me. I was able to sort of transcend those things and um, be single for a couple of years straight and be totally happy and almost not even want to date anyone for the risk of losing the peace I attained, you know, but then yeah, it became, I do know. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> I kind of live like that. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of thought to myself, but maybe that's also me trying to escape something. Mm -hmm. Maybe a relationship would show me a lot and bring up a lot of stuff that still needs healing. Absolutely. And sure enough, it, it did, of course. But so that's why I'm passionate about teaching self-realization on my channel and 
and really helping people understand what the ego is, where it comes from, and why it functions the way that it does. Because I really feel that understanding the ego in those ways is the whole key to beginning to transcend it. Yeah, I want to get back to the ego. I want to get back to the ego, but I, I want to come back to your story. Um, you know, what I love about your story, and you've gone through it on your channel, uh, that you've, you've done a few videos of your awakening story, and it's just so, you know, apart from being a pastor's son, it's just so, it's just a story of like normality. You've had relationships, you've had, you know, I think a marriage that didn't work mm -hmm. out and, and, you, and that, that bumping up against relationship and judging yourself and having dysfunction in relationship. I think it's really relatable. We can all relate to that. Apart from having that two weeks of complete bliss, <laughs> I don't know how many people have had that, but a lot of people have these spiritual awakenings where they have amazing Kundalini experiences or near-death experiences, right. and not everyone can relate to that. So that's why I love your story. It's very relatable. We've all had dysfunctional relationships. And, yes. um, you know, where do I sit inside this? Do I blame the other for my unhappiness? Do they blame me for their unhappiness? You know, what's, what's going on here? Where's the responsibility? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, you know, like when you were talking about falling back down to earth, when I broke up for the second time, for the first time with my second husband, I had this period of depression beating up on myself. Yeah. And it's really interesting. I, I discovered that all depression is related to how we think about ourselves in this experience. Mm -hmm. I thought I was unhappy because he's left and I wanted to come back. You know, that was the thought. That was the thought process. My husband has left and I love him and I want him to come back. So therefore I'm unhappy. What right. was going on? It wasn't that at all. What was going on was I was calling myself a failure. So as someone who teaches, as someone who heals, I thought if I can't get it together with a second husband, having a coughing fit there. Thanks for <laughs> muting. <laughs> Still getting over my bronchitis. Oh yeah. Cause you and your girlfriend have been really sick, not with the mm. coronavirus, but anyway, we won't go into that. Yeah. Uh, just at the moment. But yeah, the, I realized that the thought pattern was me crucifying myself. Like if I can't get my shit together to like have a second marriage work, then I can't help anyone. And that was right. the thought that was crucifying me. That was, it floored me because it was so not the truth. And it was just me beating up on myself. And when I got yeah. over that thought, that's when joy returned. So yeah, like all this depression we put ourselves through is what is what we're believing to be true about ourselves, being yep. being the failure or being mm -hmm. the whatever it is. Being inadequate. Being inadequate, being disconnected to the mm -hmm. infinite supply, infinite yeah. source. Okay, so where are we in your story? I broke up with the girlfriend, crashed to earth. Where did you go from there? You left Google. Eventually, yeah. I worked there for four years, and that was like the first year I was there. So I actually worked there for like three more years uh, before I moved to Colorado. Um, <clears throat> like you said, I was uh, a full. I was working as a fitness model in San Francisco. I was competing in bodybuilding and doing really well. I, I won my first two shows, and then went to nationals in Las Vegas, and. Uh, by the time I got to nationals, I really didn't even want to do it anymore. Um, cause I'd already had that whole experience happen. And it was just like, this is not me. I have no interest in this, but my coach is like, but man, you, you have a chance of getting your pro card. You got to at least try, you've come this far. And I thought, okay, yeah, I guess he's right. And that was a good lesson in authenticity. 
of um, don't do things you don't really want to do, right? Don't let somebody else convince you to do something you don't want to do. And so I begrudgingly went through the show. I didn't really prep very hard. Um, and I, I think I placed fourth. I didn't even show up to get my trophy because I was like, I'm so done with this. This was a huge mistake, you know? So I walked out of that. I quit modeling. I just walked out of all that part of my life, st stopped posting shirtless pictures, the whole nine <laughs> yards. It was like, this was just ego. I have, I have no desire to actually do any of this, you know? So a lot of transformation happened. And I think um, I appreciate what you said a minute ago that um, like my story being relatable because what I'm actually happy about is that the, the two week uh, Nirvana experience I had wasn't what saved me. Right. Right. Like it wasn't like an Eckhart Tolle or Byron Katie experience where I just exactly. had one moment poof, yes. completely yeah. free forever mm -hmm. because I'm glad there's people that have had that. Cause it's like such a miracle and it's such a beautiful thing to witness. But like you said, it's not very relatable to the average person. So I'm actually happy that I, I went through it the normal way of just facing my shadow, facing my demons, doing constant work on myself for many years. And I still am, but um, I attained the level of freedom I enjoy now through hard work and dedication and just pure desire to be free. And that's something that anyone has the ability to do. Absolutely. 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 I'm hearing you. Yep. And I think that it's an ongoing, you know, while we're still in these bodies, in these meat suits, in these personality, I think it's just an ever evolving, ongoing journey of uh, more and more disconnection to what binds us to limitation and, and having, you know, having the experience of being in a physical body, which is a limiting experience in itself, but right. then experiencing more and more freedom inside that limitation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that we're never going to, meet, you know, meet some like, I'm now holier than thou and everything is great because, mm. <laughs> yeah. you know, the world has kind of gone crazy and we've got to meet the crazy with love, right? We've got to meet it yeah. with love. Can we meet the crazy with love? Because I, I think Esther had said something that really spoke to me, Esther, from the teachings of Abraham, this world mm -hmm. is determined to show you every aspect of despair. And so we've got to meet that from freedom and love. That's why we oh, come here, I believe. Beautiful. Yeah. And it's possible for absolutely everybody. You know, the reason I reached out to you initially was because of the law of one. I was thinking, I really want to sort of get more into the law of one material and I don't want to read it all because it's really hard to read. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully somebody's made some videos that dissected for me yeah there's this guy called Aaron that's made some videos on the law of one and I thought oh I'm going to talk to him about the law of one but then I started watching your other videos and I kind of got into your story and went oh there's a, there's a lot more to talk to this guy about than just yeah. the law of one so when did you find the law of one material I know that you're trying to marry all the information that you're finding in the, I don't know, you know, the spiritual genre, the spirit, you know, with your church upbringing, which is what you do in that podcast called, um, you know, moving backwards, saving Christianity from fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. Watched a couple of your videos where you're trying to sort of marry concepts from the church with, and I'm kind of thinking, yeah, good effort, but I don't know. <laughs> Like I think a lot of the church concepts, as it's much not as you, for Christian people, <laughs> as much as you want to keep them, they're still very limiting there. Mm -hmm. I think I was watching you talk about the father and the son and the Holy ghost and you were relating it to a more mind body spirit complex. Mind body spirit complex. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it's a bit of a stretch, but I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I don't know if the, 
church was actually meaning the same thing as the mind body spirit complex i, I really definitely don't. not yeah now these are the way i see it is that they're they're deep metaphysical truths mm. that lots of different religions and cultures over history um sort of tap into and recognize and then they put their own language to it their own filters on it um and to me that the trinity father son holy spirit is a very clear example of that where you know that was something that was discovered and pushed through the christian paradigm you know god is three persons well ironically we are also three persons in a sense three dimensions however you want to classify it and um, it's just fascinating to see those similarities in, in all kinds of world religions something that interests me a lot yeah i know you're well educated in all of this stuff can i ask you how old are you now i just turned 31 a ah, few weeks ago. happy birthday 31 mm, still so young so cool okay let's get into the law of um if people want to hear more about your story it's on your channel but let's get into the law of one stuff because i find that fascinating when did you find it how did it speak to you you know tell us the story i think i found it about three or four years ago i'd heard of it before that and just never read it never looked into it but finally started looking into it three or four years ago and as I read it, I just thought to myself, this is just the most amazing thing I've ever read. I can't believe there's not more people out there screaming this from the mountaintops, you know? Yeah, right. And I realized shortly that it's because most people have a hard time understanding it because of the language. Mm -hmm. And that I understand, of course. And so I thought, well, shoot, why not me? I guess I'll make, I'll make some videos explaining this stuff. Um, because the more I read it, the more, the more clear it was. And I'm like, this actually isn't very complicated. Um, it is, but it's, it's really not, anyone can understand this if you just framed it the right way. Right. And so that's when I made the first video of the seven densities, which I think is like the foundation for the law of one. And that video just like exploded and did so well. And I found all these people coming out of the woodwork saying, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're doing this. I've wanted someone to do this for so long. I love the law of one. And I went, okay, let's keep, uh, keep rolling with this. And it's by far the most popular series on my channel. Is that, isn't that interesting? Because yeah. Carla Ruckett uh, and the boys channeled it 79, I think. So yeah, the 80, infam I think. 81, 79 yeah. to 81 over the few period of years. And two of them, there were three people involved, two of them have left the planet. Mm. Uh, Kevin Moore interviews one of them. I can't remember his name. It's on his channel. There's, uh, Don Elkins and Don Jim Elkins. McCarty. Who's the one still alive, Don? Uh, Jim McCarty is the one still alive. He was okay. the scribe. Okay, he's the one that's on Kevin's show talking about it. But um, yeah, it is fascinating information. I was listening to another young man who was talking about it say that someone had told him the most profound channeled information was the law of one material. And he was at his beginning of his journey and he went, oh, well, I better read that then. And I thought, hmm, okay, well, now maybe I should sort of tune into it more. So yeah. how did it change you? What, what, how did it like, what were your aha moments when you were reading it? Let's walk us through that. Oh man, the whole book is an aha moment. It's, uh -huh. it's so profound. I think what grabbed me was I've always been a deep questioner. Like right. I want to know why this is true. Don't just tell me it's true. Tell me why it's true. Right. And the why for me has always been the burning question behind everything. And I think that's why, um, you know, people say you're so great at explaining stuff. Like, well, that's just because I have this insatiable desire to know why behind every nook and cranny there is, you know, until I know every reason why I'm not satisfied. Mm -hmm. And so naturally, there's a lot of questions about reality. Uh, why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we come here? What's this all about? Why are there so many planets in the universe? You know, 
So many questions like that. And the law of one is just the most comprehensive, um, straightforward breakdown of the universe and um, the whole cosmic divine plan of what we're experiencing. And it lays it out in such a way that makes you see the incredible beauty and intelligence of it. And it just kind of like opened my heart to the to creation and, and this whole thing we're inside of. Our, our egos tend to really dole things for us and put so many definitions on everything. No, life sucks. Nothing means anything. Hopeless, boring, worthless. And the law of one just kind of blows the doors off that and says, not only is it not like that, but it's more amazing and mind-blowing than you can possibly imagine. And so I think that's why people find it so interesting because you know, the one comment I hear from tons of people who, who watch my videos and, or just read the law of one is everything I read resonates in my chest. Like, like it, it burns in my chest. Like I know it's true. I'm remembering that it's true. Like I forgot this, but now I remember. And to me, that's such a huge indicator that something is true uh, because truth can only be remembered, right? Our true, our true self already knows what's true. And through this veil of being the, the person with an ego, we are shrouded from truth. And it's only when we contact it that the heart responds and says, I remember that. And for me, the law of one was like a big experience in that, remembering the truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Truth can only be remembered. You know, I call my sessions reminders from home. It was something that I read in the Conversation with God books. I don't know if you've read any of Neil Donald Walsh's books, Connor. He, he said, um, something along those lines that all truth is remembered to remind, to remind, to rewire your mind, Uh to, um, to remind you all lessons are remembered. You can't teach anything. It's just a reminder. And I thought, ah, reminders from home. Cause as a teacher, I don't think I'm teaching anybody anything like as you teaching, you're just Mm -hmm. allowing that availability to remember what your soul knows, what your your soul knows. Um, So let's get into a bit of the stuff. Look, the thing I love about the law of one material was um, a lot of people say this to be about spirit guides. I get a lot of people reaching out to me. I want to be more connected to my spirit guides. Who are my spirit guides? And this was something that I went through as a young girl trying to find out who my spirit guides were, people were giving names to their higher self, like mm-hmm. Betty, George, Archangel, Michael, whatever. They Bobby, were the higher self. Bobby, the higher self. <laughs> like, they were giving this identity to their spirit guides and their higher self, and I was not getting identity. And as this young girl, I'm thinking, I'm failing at this. I'm failing at this. Yeah. And one day I was doing a meditation, meet your spirit guide. And there was no one showing up. And then I kind of heard heard them like holding their bellies laughing at me because they just thought I was hilarious. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, what, what, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? And they said, oh my God, you think you have spirit guides? You know, we have been so many identities. You want an identity? Just pick one and we'll show up. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. I'm so I'm a young girl. I'm like, Okay, if I'm going to pick someone, I'm going to pick some young, handsome man and some bang, you know, there was this identity standing in front of me in my mind's eye of like, oh, but Ra explains in the law of one, he talks about he is a social memory complex. Mm-hmm. Do you want to explain that to us? Yeah, sure. It's one of those uh, teachings in the law of one that just gives you so much uh, inner peace, you know, when you when you think about it, because one of the biggest um, fears that we have as humans is uh, losing our loved ones. 
and feeling like, oh, when my mom dies, she's gone forever. I'll never see her again. How sad. And of course, you know, as Abraham Hicks would teach, the emotional guidance system shows you if it feels bad, it's because it's not true. And for me, I always, you know, because that was one of my big fears. I thought, well, okay, it's nice to know it's not true, but why isn't it true? Like, what do I just, we're in some party together forever after I die? Like, what's the deal? And so along comes Ra, who explains what actually happens as consciousness continues on its evolutionary journey, which is that the gravity of love between entities eventually becomes so great that um, they decide to sort of merge consciousness. And I think what happens first in that evolution is telepathy and um, basically just being able to communicate through mind alone without needing verbal language. And according to the law of one, the vast majority of beings in the universe are speak through NVC, through nonverbal communication. Um, using verbal language is apparently pretty rare, actually. So first, telepathy will evolve, like let's say in the human race, few like 10,000 years from now, we'll slowly be able to, you know, there's, there's gurus now, there's, there's masters who are known for this, where they can just read people's minds and, and like, you're thinking about this, this happened to you yesterday, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. and I've seen it happen as well. Actually, in church, it would happen all the time. We just called it words of knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, but you just get an intuition about somebody and you can just tell them what they're thinking and feeling. Mm -hmm. That's a form of telepathy. So Absolutely. we're already seeing little bits of that now that's available for you to practice. But as the, as our bodies evolve into more fourth density bodies, green ray bodies, that ability will become very normal. And so after that point, uh, eventually Ra explains that, um, let's say somebody you love like a, a spouse or your mom or your dad, you're like, you know, I love you so much. I want to become one with you. I want our minds to merge into one mind. And so because you can share thoughts freely with telepathy, apparently beings just start to open their minds up to one another. And now I have access to all your memories and all your thoughts and feelings. And there's nothing but unconditional love and acceptance. So it has to come through love, of course. Love is the, the medium through which that happens. But that process continues and more and more entities through love, join into that group consciousness. And this is why basically every channeled work you ever come across, the entity speaks in terms of we mm -hmm. and us. Mm -hmm. It's never me, myself, I, whatever. That's because you're speaking to, or the person that's channeling is speaking to a memory complex, a, mm -hmm. a group soul. Mm -hmm. And so there's basically the way it works is that these entities are still separate from each other on a physical level. If you're channeling a physical entity that is somewhere else in the universe, the, you know, let's say like Ra, for example, uh, there's like, you know, a billion souls in Ra's memory complex. And those billion individual six density beings, wherever they are, are walking around on planets and doing their thing, mm -hmm. but they have access to every person's memories and thoughts. And so basically like I can represent myself as anyone from the group if I need to and speak freely as them because I have access to their mind. Absolutely. And so that's the way consciousness eventually goes as evolution continues. And on the other side of things in the, let's say the astral or whatever, the other side of the veil, um, those, th that group soul is also a group soul in the astral. Mm -hmm. um, once the physical body passes you're still a part of that group soul forever. And then eventually group souls merge together and become higher selves. And then eventually you step back into the creator, into the all and um, finish your evolutionary journey.
Yeah. Yes. 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 And no, because I, I don't know if it's like eventually or even a linear process. I think it's stepping in, stepping out, stepping in, <clears throat> stepping out. Like you can merge back with the oneness. Look, I don't think we can understand it from this linear mind perspective because there is no, no progression and linear. There is yeah. just experience. So, yeah. But anyway, we can talk about it in a linear fashion. Yeah. So my guides had said to me, you know, the first uh, vernacular I got to kind of even hope to describe who they were was when Esther said, we're a stream of consciousness. Abraham is a stream of consciousness. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I like that word stream of consciousness. Mm -hmm. It doesn't give identity to the spirit guides. And it's like a, you're talking to a, a group soul, a stream of consciousness, like a mm -hmm. consciousness that is made up of many. And then right. I heard the social memory complex, Ra talk about the social memory complex, because they had described themselves to me exactly as Ra described himself as yeah. the social memory complex, but they didn't say they were one planet. He said that he's the social memory complex of Venus, didn't he? Yes. And that Venus had been this evolution, like this whole civilization had happened on Venus and many souls had come and gone and experienced physical life or different forms of life on Venus. And then there was this memory of all of that. And that's what he represented this social memory complex of Venus. And yes. they've tried to explain themselves to me like that, but not just one planet, many planets, they said many planets and universes, but not the all and the everything. Mm -hmm. So that's what they said to me. And I'm like, okay. So trying to wrap our puny little linear minds around who is it that I'm speaking to or who right. is it that's talking through me? What about you? Who are your spirit guides? Like what have you identified as speaks through you when you get in that flow and in that zone and you're just like channeling because you do it all the time on your channel. Like who do you identify with what you're talking to? Do you call it God? Do you call it your higher self? Do you call it spirit guides? Yeah, I think I just stick mostly to higher self. Um, I haven't really gone down the road of finding spirit guides or any of that. It's just never been something I've had a desire to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it will at some point. Um, I just care about truth and whatever form that comes through, I'm, I'm happy with. And so, you know, channeling to me is, is kind of a tricky concept because there's different ways of channeling. You know, there's, there's trance channelers like Carla who literally have to be in a meditative trance um, and that's why, you know, the law of one is such an incredibly next level channeled work with so much, you know, huge words and verbiage and like um, really specific detailed information that um, a channeler like Abraham or Esther, I guess, or Bashar, who's like walking around on a stage talking to an audience, they can't be in that deep of a trance as Carla is in order to be talking to people or teaching people openly. So they're channeling uh, more of like a wide band type of signal, whereas Carlos has to be in a trance to channel this really narrow band signal, as Ra explains. So, you know, Abraham, to me, Esther is, is receiving a lot of intuitive information and communicating it through her filter. Mm -hmm. um, whereas a trance channel like Carla, Carla's not present. Like Ra has taken over her mind and is literally speaking through her. And so for me, like when I'm teaching or whatever there's lots of moments where i do feel myself entering some kind of a flow state mm -hmm. and it feels like stuff is just being downloaded mm -hmm. but when i'm in it i don't feel like it's special but i watch like something back and i go oh my gosh i was in some kind of zone right 
So I don't know what that is, if that's a spirit guide or higher self or just me kind of getting into uh, a vein of truth that, that opens up more information. I don't really know. Um, but as long as it comes through, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that we can get all caught up with who and what and why as linear human minds, we all, we want this identity, you know, we want, right. we want to put a label on it, a name on it, or we want to describe the personality because that's how yeah. we identify with each other. So we want our spiritual practice to be the same as our physical experience. And um, it's so ain't. <laughs> it's so ain't. <laughs> But yeah, as long as it feels good, as long as it feels good, just keep doing it. You know, if it right. feels good, keep keep doing it. Doesn't really matter what you call it. Yeah, truth yeah. is truth. Truth is truth. Well, yeah, truth. Now, what did you say before? Truth cannot be learned. Truth can only be remembered, known, mm -hmm. remembered. Yes. All right. Let's get into the social. No, the the um, personality what is it the that they call us the mind body complex oh mind body spirit complex yeah so that's what ra calls humans you are a mind body spirit complex from your understanding right. what's he talking about so the way that the source uh, creates this illusion of a separative experience that we're all having like i'm over here you're over there in australia we must be separate we're actually the same being right the way it creates that illusion is through um, different layers or whatever you want to call it that it projects itself into and <clears throat> excuse me this the source is obviously non-physical it doesn't have a body it doesn't even have a personality in the sense of one localized form of expression it's infinite so how is it going to assume the role of a finite being mm -hmm. that which is infinite cannot be finite otherwise it wouldn't be infinite right mm -hmm and vice versa as well. So it has to create the illusion of being finite, but not actually be finite. And that's something Ra touches on a lot in the law of one. But so the first thing it does is it takes some, you could think of it as like a portion of its essence. And we call that spirit. That's the eternal aspect of us that was never born, never dies. And it says, okay, this spirit will go on an evolutionary journey. But in order for it to go on a journey, it needs a mind to plug itself into, to be its avatar or um, its activating agent to have perception, sensation, thought, feeling, emotion. We need a mind for that. So it projects the spirit into a mind. And the mind is also what we call the soul. The soul is the part of us that gets molded and shaped by every incarnation. The lessons it learns increases its vibration. Really the soul is a vibration. And the more incarnations we have and lessons we learn and karma we heal, the faster that vibration goes. Mm -hmm. And the faster the vibration is, the more um, ascended our consciousness becomes mm -hmm. to where we can remember the lessons of love and wisdom in our incarnations here in the third density. So somebody like Eckhart Tolle, for example, is most likely a very advanced sixth density soul because you know it didn't take him much to completely penetrate through mm -hmm. the veil and be totally self-realized his vibration must be pretty, pretty high versus maybe a younger soul just doesn't have the vibratory level yet to break through the veil. So they need to learn more lessons and work through more karma, things like that. So that mind, that soul must also then just like the spirit project itself into a medium through which to have an experience. And we call that the body. So the body is the vehicle as Ra would say, 
for the soul and the spirit, right? So the body is the vehicle for the mind as the mind is the vehicle for the spirit. So Ra explains you are all three simultaneously, mind, body, and spirit. Say that again. The mind is the vehicle for the soul, just like the body is the vehicle for the spirit. The mind is the vehicle for the spirit. Oh, the mind is the vehicle for the spirit. So how do you differentiate? body is the vehicle for the mind. Okay. So how do you differentiate spirit, soul, higher self? Like what is the differentiation of those uh, understandings or labels? Well, you could think of the spirit as sort of like a, a magnet for the soul. It's, it's the pure eternal essence of love and peace that calls us all to itself. It's our nature, oneness, unity. And so the, the spirit acts as that, the gravity that pulls the mind or soul through all these experiences and has it sort of chase its true nature. The spirit is pure. It's perfect. It can't be changed or altered. It is already what it is. It's already perfect. And so the soul seeks to crystallize itself and purify itself of all these distortions and dysfunctions that it has in physical reality so that it can access its true nature. That's why every single one of us, every human that's ever lived or ever will live, all we really want is happiness, is peace. We want love, right? And the ego simply tricks us into thinking that, oh, well, you can get love through this way. You can get peace through that way. And then we commit all these errors that create karma. Like, let's say that person's the cause of all my pain and I can have peace if I eliminate them. Mm -hmm. So then I murder that person. And now I just stored up a ton of karma for myself. So now after this lifetime, I have my life review, realize all the mistakes I made. Oh, how could I have been so blind and foolish? You know, this is a classic NDE, right? Mm-hmm. please let me go back and write that wrong. I can't handle it. I got to write that wrong. So then that soul might choose an incarnation that's very difficult. Maybe they choose to be somebody who gets murdered, for example, mm-hmm. so that their vibration can learn why that is not of the source's nature, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so they need both sides of the coin to experience and purge themselves of that karma. So basically everything you do to another person, you actually do to yourself. Mm-hmm because they are you, just in another form. Uh, The higher self is, the way Ra explains it, is actually you from the future. It's it's sixth density you, uh, late sixth density you, that has basically completed all the evolution that it can through service to others and incarnating and learning lessons. It's balanced itself so perfectly between love and wisdom that now it needs to do something else to keep advancing. And so the next step for that, soul, that soul's evolution is to basically turn backwards in time and serve as a sort of a guide to itself through all of its previous incarnations. Mm-hmm. So that's where the tricky sort of mind bending part comes in, right? Because it already lived those lifetimes mm-hmm. and it already experienced itself guiding itself, mm-hmm. but it, yet it still does it because there's no time, right? Yeah, exactly. Everything's happening simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the spirit, soul, high self. So you would say the soul, I think the Egyptians called the car body, K-A, uh-huh. like the part of us that incarnates into different lifetimes. So yes. that would be the soul. So the, the soul, soul and the car body would be the same concept. Right. Right, which is kind of one of the reasons 
I think, you know, this name Karen instead of Karen. Ah, there you go. The car body. So to just a reminder when I came into this incarnation that you're not the physical body, but, you know, be more identified with the car body, like your soul. Anyway, yeah. Just one thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cause there's so many different labels we've placed on throughout history and time and space. We've placed on same concepts. And I think, right. how do you marry this information, this law of one material with the religious material? Have you tried like, it's just so beyond what religion kind of goes into really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Roz asked a lot about, especially the Christian religion, because Carla was a Christian. Right. Um, he's asked a lot about Jesus. He's asked a lot about uh, Yahweh from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interesting material about the Old Testament and, and Christ in the law of one. Um, I don't think you can marry religion with the law of one because they're just diametrically opposed. Right. But what I'm passionate about doing is um, showing the gold behind religious dogma and showing the eternal truths that are actually lying underneath there that have been so distorted by the religious ego for centuries. But nevertheless, truth is truth. And every religion is pointing to the same truth and contains a lot of truth. Absolutely. And so I think you can use the law of one if you understand a lot of the basic principles of the law of one. And then let's say you read the Bible over again um, you're going to pick up a lot of stuff like, oh, that's really what this means, but they just right. didn't know that. You know, right. that to me is where trying the juice to is. allude to. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've got a friend uh, who was brought up in the L, the Mormon L. What do they call it? Oh, L, uh, yeah, Latter Day Saints. Latter Day Saints L D. Yeah, anyway. yes. And she left, and she says that um, you know what she she sees is that a lot of people who leave that religion kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. So they, exactly. see the discre- they see the discrepancy in the limitation placed on. But then she often says, you know, with my LDS upbringing, we were, to- we were told to speak to the Holy Spirit. So we were sort of taught about speaking to spirit, like something beyond ourselves, And mm-hmm. so that, you know, a kind of dovetails with spirit guides, if you like. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, informational vernacular in that that sort of alludes to a lot of what the spirituality and new age stuff talks about. But she sees people leaving that are that feel like they've broken out of jail and they're free and they completely throw out all religion and yes. um, all spirituality. You know, they become kind of atheists and just like yeah. hedonistic. Let's just drink and party and drink more alcohol and shop more and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> woohoo! And, and then the depression sets in. Yeah, because that's because as you say, the the happiness, you know, it's an inside job. It's not going to come from more shoes, more more alcohol. Right. It's just not. Uh, so you know, her mission too is to sort of try and have groups speaking to people about just because you've thrown out the limitation of the church doesn't mean you have to throw out all of it. Absolutely not. Yeah. So which you're, that's what you're trying to do with uh, your podcast. Now what's yep. it called? moving backwards moving backwards yeah i just want to rescue the gold from christianity and show why there's a lot of good stuff here we just need to change the way we think about it absolutely absolutely so okay let's talk about going back to the law of one material 51 percent positive evolve from positive path 91 percent neck they talk about the two paths that we can take we can take a path of service to others or yeah. a path of service to self. 
So that would be in the sort of spiritual or Christian vernacular, that would be like good versus evil. Because I don't like this game called good versus evil because we tend to demonize everything bad. Whereas as you've discovered, you date a really dysfunctional girlfriend and the outcome is spiritual awakening. So was it good or was it bad? You know, it's like there is no good or bad. There is just experience. And can I utilize that bad experience to expand and grow? And yeah. There's pleasure and pain, right? But no good or bad. So what is this positive evolving path that is service to others? And do you want to explain that concept in the law of one? Sure. Yeah. Well, the service to others path is the quote unquote positive path, positive polarity. Mm-hmm. Service to self is the negative polarity. And uh, Ra used those terms just in like the sense of like, like an electron has a positive or negative charge. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean the good path and the bad path. Mm-hmm. The way they see it is all, both are equally valid. You can have whatever experience you want. And, um, you know, in a very real sense, like you said, we need the negative path to serve mm-hmm. as the, the, the contrast to understand the positive path. So everything serves its rightful purpose. And you know, there's like, there's two different ways to know what foods you like. Mm -hmm. You can just only ever eat foods you like, or you can also try foods you don't like and get a new perspective on why you like the foods you like, gain a deeper appreciation, right? So that's kind of what the negative path does for us. But basically what Ra explains is that we lie in this middle ground between the positive and negative path here in third density. And part of what the whole purpose of third density is, is the introduction of polarity, of duality, positive, negative. Mm -hmm. And so what Ra says is when the mind, body, spirit complex becomes aware of the option of serving others or serving myself, then the mind, body, spirit complex gets activated. And you basically choose one of those two polarities. And then after the choosing, you continue your journey evolving up the densities of consciousness on that path. And so Ra says to be eligible to be a quote unquote positively oriented being, you need to be at least 51% or more service to others oriented. And the reason it's only 51% is because the positive path is the path of harmony, of unity, of balance. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot easier to sustain on the positive path versus the negative path is the opposite of that. So it's the path of entropy, of, of disorder, disharmony. And so just by its very nature, it's, it's a lot more difficult to sustain the negative path than the positive path. And actually what Ra explains is that at early sixth density, um, the negative entity is not able to advance any farther. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's unsustainable. There's too much entropy. Mm-hmm. And so they have to eventually concede and, and reverse their polarity to the positive path to continue their evolution. And now there's a bit of a misunderstanding about this because Ross says you have to be 95% or more negatively oriented to, to be, to graduate to a truly negative being and you know become like a fourth density negative being in your next lifetime, let's say. And so a lot of people say, well, but Ra explains that it's just as difficult to attain 51% positive as it is 95% negative, right? So the negative path isn't more difficult. But the difference there is that Ra's talking about in this third density. In this third density, it's equally as difficult to become 51% positive as it is 95% negative. 
But after third density, when we talk about fourth, fifth, and sixth density, the negative path becomes many times more challenging to polarize on. Yeah. Because basically the way you have to polarize is by taking from people, manipulating people, um, enslaving them. I say people, beings, whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas on the positive path, all you need to do is send love and light, Mm -hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. that's how you polarize serving others. So in this third density, because there's an equal amount of dark and light, both paths are equally challenging. I mean, we all know how hard it is to attain enlightenment, right? It's a lot of work. You got to be, you know, fiercely dedicated to that path. And the same goes for the negative. I don't know. Yeah. You have to be dedicated, committed. Uh, because as I say, we're marinating in fear in this third density. We're literally mm. marinating. We're swimming in, in what we call fear. Yes. Just watch the news. And so while you're swimming inside fear, it's kind of hard. It's kind of, well, I don't even want to call it hard, but it takes a commitment or a courageous yeah. soul to look past what we're swimming in, um, right. to look past that. So Esther would say the way that she described it, is that, um, you know, the positive path is easy because it is who we are and the negative path. So she, she uses this, like, it's like a cork. If you hold it under the water, it takes a lot of effort and strength to keep it down. But when you let go, it just bobs back up. Right. Cause it, cause we naturally as souls who come from love and light, we naturally gravitate towards it. So it takes a lot of effort to keep us out of it. Like yes. a lot of, so that's why being negative is so exhausting. Have you ever been yes. depressed and you can't get out of bed? Because it takes a lot of energy and effort to maintain those negative thoughts because yep. they're counterproductive and, and counter to who we are as, as love and light. So, yes. yeah, so it's really interesting that it takes 91% or 95% to maintain a negative orientation. It does. It takes a lot yeah. of work. It's much harder it's not- being a dickhead than it is being nice let's put it in <laughs> it's true yeah it takes a lot of commitment because it unravels very easily if you're not fiercely dedicated to continuing that path and a lot of people that you know characters in history for example that we might have thought oh he definitely he was negatively oriented like hitler or something uh-huh. actually isn't the case right. um, they ask rob about hitler and rob basically says hitler was a very confused soul right um, from his perspective he thought he was doing a service to the world. That's how distorted he was. Mm -hmm. So when he died, he said uh, he was in a state of great confusion and he required a lot of um, basically healing period before he was even ready to think about a next incarnation. He had so many distortions to work through. So he gives some examples of truly negative beings who, you know, to be a truly negative being, you have to understand the path of light. Um, you have to understand the path of truth and say, yeah, I see that, but I'm going to choose this path. Mm-hmm. It has to be a conscious choosing. Mm-hmm. Like Donald Trump's probably a negative being. Nope. From his perspective, he's a positive being and he probably oh, yeah. is, Yeah. but he's confused about stuff. Right? So yeah. the negative path is not a path of, you don't stumble into it on accident. You choose it. You decide I'm going to manipulate. I'm going to use truth to my advantage. Oh, absolutely. That's the negative path. I totally remember doing this as I was torturing, torturing various boyfriends or husbands and saying things and making that deliberate choice that I could choose to say that or not. Like I could choose yeah. to play the victim. I had this choice in that moment. And I would always say to myself, 
Like, why am I choosing that? I don't know. I'm just choosing it. You know, like there was this, yeah. there was this moment inside my unconsciousness because I wasn't conscious at that point to that stage, like when I was in my twenties. Um, but like, there was still a choice. Like, you don't have to say that. Like, you don't have to be like that. There's just yeah. this knowing that I'm choosing this. I'm choosing this. I'm choosing being horrible to this person or judging yeah. them or blaming them. Like, you're making me feel bad. You, you. You're the doer. Yeah. <laughs> you're upsetting me. Yeah. So, yeah, we always have a choice in that. Oh, fascinating stuff. All right. Where are we going from here? Positive, negative path. Okay, about Hitler. You know, one of the guests I've had on the show, Garnet Schulhauser, fascinating guest. He, uh, his spirit guide, Albert, takes him out in his astral form, flies him around the universe and shows him all this stuff and then tells him to write about it. And he's written wow. four books and he's writing his fifth now. And one of the encounters that he had on the spirit side, as he calls it, is seeing Jesus and Hitler sitting on a park bench together, mm. having, a, having a yarn, you know, having a chat. What a saying, huh? Yeah. And uh, many channelers have also said that Hitler was actually a highly evolved spiritual being that came in to play a role because mm. in creating all this contrast, trauma, it would actually serve humanity because kind of as we go through the trauma, we see what we are, we see what we're not, and then we make decisions, never again, never again, this is right. what. And so he played that role. And then some people are saying that as he came into that role as Hitler and he is taking that path, that, that service to self path, um, he did get very lost inside, you know, the egoic path of, yeah. It's all about me and I'm right. And power. Power, power. But um, he was a highly evolved being coming in to play a role. And uh, you can kind of look around at what we deem as negative entities and see that they're all playing their part in this yeah. game of life called physical earth. Do you see that? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a touchy subject because from the perspective of an ego, Mm -hmm. um, death and suffering and loss is final. It's eternal. Mm -hmm. And so there's no ability to comprehend uh, a greater, a higher perspective like that. Mm -hmm. But from higher consciousness point of view, every incarnation is just like a dream, like a, like a dream at night. It's like walking into a movie, walking out of a movie. Mm -hmm. It's so incredibly brief and short. And our eternal nature is eternally safe, secure, free, loved, and loving. So nothing is ever lost in the universe. But ego, the belief in separation, tells us otherwise. So we look at what happened um, with Hitler and say, well, how could any good have possibly come out of that? It was all suffering and death and loss. Mm -hmm. And I hope that guy's burning in hell forever, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that our, our souls need to be sort of uh, woken up. It's, it's, we say, well, we're learning lessons, but actually we're kind of like waking up. It's what we call it, spiritual awakening. And what wakes us up from the dream of sleep is um, suffering and challenge and pain and catalyst. It's like, you know, you're, you're asleep on the couch and you're knocked out and someone's poking you like, hey, wake up, man. And it starts slapping your face a little bit. And you're like, what? It's kind of like what life does to our spirit, right? Yeah, yeah. And Hitler played a really huge role in that mm -hmm. of waking up millions of people through the incredible amount of suffering he inflicted. And of course, on this relative level, what a horrible atrocity, what a terrible amount of suffering was inflicted and nobody would ever wish that on anyone but in the cosmic grand scheme anyone everyone in auschwitz everyone who died at the hands of hitler 
nothing actually happened to them. They're, mm -hmm. they're eternally safe, mm -hmm. eternally free, probably already living other lifetimes. And to them, it was just like waking up from a bad dream, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. In the dream, it's all so real. You're suffering. It's horrible. And the second you wake up, you go, ha, huh, just a dream, nothing to worry about. Yeah. And that's exactly how it is from our higher consciousness perspective. I know we get so, um, we get so entrenched into this reality being our only reality that yeah. we can't see past it. And I guess that's the job of the ego. I said that we were going to get supposed to be that way. Yeah. That that's the job of the ego that, that this is your reality and that separation. Yeah. That separation is your reality. Yeah. Um, my mind's going crazy. I've got a million things going on in my mind all at once. <laughs> I'm just trying to pick one as they fly past. Pick one. <laughs> Grab one. Grab a hold of which concept we're going to, where are we going to go next? <laughs> Anything you want to say? So I would say that that's what's happening at the moment as we're experiencing this global contrast. Bingo. That there is this mass awakening, you know, spiritual channelers and teachers and guides have been talking about the shift, the shift hitting the fan, I call it, for a long yeah. time. And they've, we've postulated about what it was going to be some event that's going to wake up humanity and it's not going to be pretty, but yeah. uh, this is an event that is waking up humanity because we're starting to, we're starting to reevaluate like as we're, you know, when you're in a feathered nest or a cushy, you've got a cushy, why would you change? Why would you question anything when it, when life is great? Right. Exactly. So when life isn't so great and then restrictions are placed on us, like, don't go out. Don't go and sit in the park <laughs> as I go out and go for walks. You know, there are police trying to arrest people that are sitting in the park. It's like crazy what's going on, it's right? Crazy right? times, it's man. crazy. But people are starting to reevaluate who am I? Why am I here? What am I? How can I? So there's just a mass awakening. What's your perspective on what's happening at the moment? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I find this whole situation so fascinating, mm -hmm. especially from the law of one point of view. Okay. Because Ra explains that we shifted to fourth density in 2012. That was what that was all about. Right. Now everyone's like looking forward to this huge event and then like nothing happens, right? <laughs> That's because it was a planetary event. The, the frequency of the planet became a fourth density frequency. And so fourth density is the density of love and unity. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so coming out of third density, separation, war, genocide, all the horrible atrocities that happen at the hands of ego and the belief that we're separate from one another. Mm -hmm. We're now coming into a new understanding that, hey, we're actually not separate from one another. We're actually in this together. Mm -hmm. What happens to you happens to me on some level. So the best thing is for us to join hands and become brothers and sisters and uh, let's be in this together rather than against one another. That's a fourth density understanding. Right. And so we see that happening in a lot of ways. Um, one of the big shifts into fourth density was the internet. Mm -hmm. um, the ability of connecting the whole planet together. Um, that's a huge fourth density uh, advancement. And I find this whole pandemic issue to be another one of those huge leaps forward right. into our fourth density evolution, because what is this coronavirus doing to us? It's uniting us in a marvelously incredible way. Absolutely. Because when we suffer together, we bond together. Yeah. So now, you know, there's been lots of pandemics in the world, but there wasn't the internet or the information age around yet to where we could see other people suffering. We could see, oh, 
Italy is also being affected by this. France, Spain, Canada, Australia, everyone is experiencing the same thing at the same time, which helps us have empathy and compassion. Mm -hmm. And we're watching all these countries sending supplies and, mm -hmm. um, you know, acts of compassion. Mm -hmm. And that's fourth density. And so I think, you know, Mother Earth, as we literally just shifted into it uh, eight years ago now. So from Earth's perspective, it literally just happened, right? And what's the first thing she does? She goes, boom, and shakes the planet with this pandemic to say, hey, y'all need to wake up and get in, get in this thing together because we're moving forward. <laughs> and so we're watching that happen before our very eyes. And of course, it has to come through a challenge, right? Yeah. Everything, every, all growth has to come through challenge. But I think the good that's going to come out of this is going to dramatically outweigh the bad and really unify our planet in a way that could never have happened outside of this event. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I heard someone talk about the internet being actually created as a spiritual evolution, even though what happened on the internet was probably mass porn was the first thing that happened on the internet. It's mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, we can all look at porn. Yay. But it was it's another actually, way of another yeah. way of showing the collective dysfunctions that we have too. the internet kind of helped us see a lot of our shadow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it was created to actually do what you're doing and what I'm doing to spread these messages, to unify us and to spread more of this information across the planet. <laughs> Right, instantly. You know, like, shoom, yeah, they're out it goes. Like, remember who you are, even though there's a lot of other things that happen on the internet, but uh, that was the purpose of it coming right. into being, yeah. You and I are literally on opposite sides of the globe right now. Yeah, how cool is that? We're about as far as two humans can be on this planet. And here we are having a conversation. Yeah, instantly. And we're Isn't sitting in amazing? the same room. Yeah, it's just amazing. It is amazing. Oh, so much juicy stuff. All right. Yeah. Where do you want to go next? There's so many places I can take it. Is there anything you want to specifically talk about? Like what, what are you passionate about communicating right now? Well, my, my favorite text of all is actually not the law of one, um, but the course in course miracles. In miracles. Mm -hmm. So I'm always, you know, I always love talking about that. And that's to me, it's like my Bible, you know, Okay. Um, the two are very close, but the course for me, if I had to pick one book to keep with me, absolutely the course in miracles. It's your, it's, yeah. I used to carry around the Seth books in my handbag. It was a really fat book. So I had to have a, yeah. but I just wanted to have it close to me uh, yeah. at all times. <laughs> but uh, have you ever heard of Florence Chauvel Shin? No, I haven't. Yeah. She was a metaphysician, she called herself, back in the 30s. I think she died in the 50s or she left her body in the 50s. So oh. she was an artist and a metaphysician. And she was the first person that I read that married um, the law of attraction information with biblical information. So she translates oh. the Bible through the perspective of law of attraction. It's so beautiful. before Neville Goddard, huh? Probably around the same time. What, what, when I think was Neville, Neville was in the 50s, right? Was he in the, the 50s? 50s? Probably. Yeah. I love the name she gives herself, a metaphysician, an artist yeah. and a metaphysician. I'm like, I remember reading that going, oh, that's cool. Well, I call myself a metaphysician, you know, playing with I want to be a metaphysician. Oh, I want to be a metaphysician. But uh, also there was another one, uh, Jane Ponder. Have you ever read her stuff? She was around that time too. She, she was another one. But they talk about speaking the word, um, you know, speaking your reality into existence. So there's a lot of stuff in 
Florence's books. She called one of her books The Game of Life and How to Play It. And people would come to her for spells. It's really beautiful to read because it's so old fashioned. She had to run down to the post office to make a phone call to call somebody. You know, they didn't have mm. phones in their houses. Yeah. And, um, people would say, <laughs> you know, I owe $30,000 to the tax man, which back then was like millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. And she would say, right, we're going out to lunch and you're going to order the most expensive thing because infinite supply, there is no lack in infinite supply and you have to tune into infinite supply. And they'd be going, but I've got no money and I don't know how I'm going to pay it. She'd go, well, yeah. you speak it into existence. Wow. I have to say, I was listening last night, again, stalking you, <laughs> to one of your ones about lack, one of your shows about lack. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I gave it to my little group because you were speaking just about this, this infinite supply about there is no lack in the mind of God. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go there? Let's go there. Let's talk about lack. You can bring in the course of miracles if you like what the course of miracles sure. say about that. Cause lack is the fear that we're all believing to be true, right? Not enough money, not enough health, mm -hmm. not enough love, not enough, not enough time, not enough. So this is one of the fundamental core beliefs that we buy into right. as humans. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, the course says the ego is the belief in separation, mm -hmm. which simultaneously you could say the belief in lack. lack. And I think there's a passage where the course says the belief in lack is the only belief you really need to correct. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that really needs to be corrected because out of lack flows every, every misperception, basically. There you are. There so, you are. Just repeat that. That's an aha moment. The belief um, in lack is the only. Yeah. The belief in lack is the only belief you really need to correct. Once that's corrected, there's really nothing left to do. Mm -hmm. That's how deep and pervasive it is. Right. Um, ego perceives everything through the filter of lack. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, from the perspective of an infinite creator, an infinite universe, literally the only thing that can't exist in an infinite universe is lack. Right. So I think the mistake we make is believing that if there is no lack, then I should be able to possess everything I want instantly all the time, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And so if, if I want a Ferrari, I should have a Ferrari immediately or I'm lacking it. Right. <laughs> and that's not the way the universe works the way the universe works is it's all out there, infinite supply, mm -hmm. but you can't have everything all at once. Otherwise you would not have any experience, right. That'd just be a meaningless circus show. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you want something, you have to attract it to yourself through your attention, through your awareness. So the Ferraris out there, you can go get it. We're, the universe isn't lacking any Ferraris, but it's not just because it's not right in front of you. doesn't mean you're lacking it. And the ego says that does mean I'm lacking it. Mm -hmm. So it is a bit of a changing your, your paradigm of how the universe works. Absolutely. I remember I was thrown out of a house I was living in. I moved in with a woman who had a bit of a nervous breakdown. Another beautiful, wonderful lesson. But I found myself homeless and living in my, my brother's back room and my daughter, the cat and myself in the size of a room that's like you could fit a single bed and walk next to it and that's it. So all of us are in oh, there. Wow. <laughs> and, but we were living in a suburb in Sydney, which is one of the most affluent suburbs in Australia. And so I'm living kind of a, like this homeless person. My sister-in-law couldn't stand the cat. So the cat had to live outside. So I had to wave to it from the window. It's hilarious. So I'm sort of all up in my woes me story, poor me, lack, lack story. And then yeah. I remember driving around the suburb, contemplating this, there is no lack. It's only your story thinking, 
how can you say, like I was saying to myself, how can you say you live in lack? Just because you're homeless at the moment, you're living out of a suitcase, you and your daughter and the cat, you're living in one of Australia's most expensive suburbs. You're surrounded by you right. know, wealth. You are surrounded. You're literally swimming <clears throat> inside abundance. You might mm -hmm. not have it in your bank account, but you're literally... And just trying to change my mindset from this lack situation to like, look at, look at where you live. Look at the yeah. abundance. Look at the abundance. Like, yeah. where are you placing your focus? On your <clears throat> lack or on the abundance? Like, where do you want to look? Yeah. Yep. Because whichever one you place it on is what you'll create. Right. And that's part of what the law of attraction is for is, you know, again, we're not supposed to have access to everything we want instantaneously all the time, because then that wouldn't be an experience, right? The whole point of it is that in chasing what we want, let's say wealth, if you're poor, you want wealth. Well, in, in pursuing wealth, that pursuit gives you all kinds of lessons and spiritual growth that you couldn't have gotten any other way. So it's like the universe uses your desires as like a carrot, it dangles, says, come and get it. And as you chase it, you experience the, the contrast and you grow. And so it's all actually for the purpose of spiritual evolution that we would see our desires reflected out in the universe. I want that. I want that. I want that. And we chase it. We chase it. We get it. And then it doesn't actually supply us with the ultimate salvation we believed it did. Mm -hmm. And so we learn what we really want. Our desires change. We evolve. We chase new desires. And that keeps happening until eventually we realize everything I want has always been within me. Mm -hmm. Nothing outside of me can give me anything that I lack because I don't lack anything. So that's when you actually understand what abundance means. It means everything I want is inside of me and everything I've ever chased was actually just a symbol that represented the essence of what I really wanted, which was always an aspect of myself. Yeah. Beautiful. Which was union with the true self. Yeah. Union and communion with the true self and not the belief of the ego and separation. Okay, so in a lot of your videos, you talk about ego. And I have a slightly different perspective to ego than you. Because once you are not attached to the ego being you, you can actually totally love it. Like I totally love my ego. I totally love the part of me, the questions, that worries, you know, the part of me that forgets who I am as, you know, infinite, creative, unbounded potential call it God, call it source, call it whatever you want to call it. Right. But because I can kind of don two perspectives, I can be that and then not that, and then be that and then not that. So I've stopped fighting the ego. I've stopped trying to overcome the ego. I've stopped trying to like resist the ego because I love her. You know, she's my character in this play of life. Mm -hmm. And I love her. I love that she questions because it's only the ego that questions because the higher self has access to all the answers. So who's questioning the one that doesn't remember, right? And that's the part mm. of the ego. What do you want to say about ego? Cause you talk a lot about transcending and overcoming the ego. Right. Well, yeah, you can't make the ego an enemy because you weaponize it if you do that. Right. Um, so you have to love the ego to heal it. And uh, to love the ego is simply to understand it to know what it really is. And, you know, making the ego an enemy is the most pointless thing you can do because from ego's perspective, it thinks it's your best friend. It thinks it's helping you, right? right. And, in a, and it is in a way, but it's, 
that part of our human psychology that was forged through our evolution, uh, you know, a million plus years ago. Um, when, whenever you know, the higher primates in Africa that we evolved from started to name objects, like they would use guttural noises to name rock, tree, banana, etc. That's when the ego started to develop mm -hmm. because now we have labels. Mm -hmm. So there's a part of the brain that needs to remember labels. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what we call ego. That's the origin of ego. And as that continued and language became more complex, eventually they would have started using noises to name each other. So I give you a noise and that's your noise. Mm -hmm. So at that point, the mind was able to do an about face, so to speak, and flip in on itself and become an object to itself. And that's what we call self-awareness, mm -hmm. where we know as a concept that I exist. And that's where separation comes from and the whole shebang. So to me, ego is not everything that makes you a human being whatsoever. I think that's a, a horrible definition of ego that doesn't help anybody. If we want to talk about what ego is, we need to talk about what, what is it we're trying to transcend? What's the problem here? And the problem is, of course, suffering. So ego to me is not anything that makes me me, but it's actually one aspect of my psychology, which is the survival you know, mechanism, the self-preservation mechanism of my psychology that was made a million plus years ago and has been running for a million plus years. It's that aspect that creates my suffering because it's that aspect that makes me fear. Fear is very useful for survival. It's that aspect that makes me angry. Anger is very useful for survival. Um, it's the aspect that makes me sad and depressed and feel hopeless. From ego's perspective, those are all good things because they motivate you to get out there and improve yourself. Mm -hmm. So we had to have a part of our mind that says, you are incomplete. Go improve yourself. Go pursue outcomes. Make positive outcomes happen because that's how you ascend up the social hierarchy and improve yourself. So again, it's all good from ego's point of view. It's not trying to make you miserable. It doesn't know it's causing you to suffer, right? And so from the higher consciousness point of view, the ego is this amazing mechanism that source put in place to ensure our evolution Absolutely. because it creates all of our suffering. And as the Buddha said, um, when the suffering ends, the seeking ends because enlightenment is simply the end of suffering. It's not some magical state of consciousness. Um, you don't become a superhero. It simply means you stop suffering. So you change your perception to where your mind doesn't cause you to suffer anymore. You see things for what they really are. You see the truth of the matter. You accept everything. You stop resisting things. Um, mm -hmm. It's only the ego that wants you to resist something because ego is in the world of duality. Is this good for me or bad for me? Mm -hmm. If I think it's bad, I resist it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, again, it's all serving a purpose and it needs to be understood for what it is in order to, to heal or transcend it because simply the ego disappears from your reality when you stop having use for it. And so to not have use for it means to understand its function. Yes. Mm -hmm. I would say, you said the Buddha said, when suffering ends, seeking ends, I would say only in the third dimension. I would say right. seeking still happens outside of suffering when you've transcended third dimensional reality. Right. So you can still be seeking for seeking for liberation in for liberation. this life in the, mm -hmm. as the person. Yeah. Well, you can still seek that and not be in suffering, I have to say, but <clears throat> I, I think that you're seeking it from a different 
understanding that you're not seeking for self, like you're not on that path of service to self. You're seeking because you're on a path of service to others. Is that making sense? So yeah, the seeking is is speaking just in terms of liberation from psychological suffering, okay, not right. seeking your true nature or seeking the divine. That never ends, of course. Yeah. Okay. Uh, seeking to overcome seeking. your suffering. Yeah. All yeah. right. Uh, <coughs> something. Else. Now, how are you faring there? You're coughing. Are you all right? <laughs> I got a I got a wicked case of bronchitis, man. It's it's like that um, horrible chest tickle that when you breathe in it like shocks you and you have to cough to alleviate it. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. So, so I'm fighting it's, it. It's not the C19 then. Do you know no, that? No, no. Very, very different. <laughs> but to be honest with you, I, I think I would have fared better if I had just caught that instead of strep throat and bronchitis simultaneously. Ooh, you want to talk about hell, man. That's hell. <laughs> yeah. The two of you have had it, right? You've both been through, um, You've both been through a really hard time with your physical bodies, like you and your, yeah, what's your partner's it's been name. A I very forgot tough her name. Few weeks. Her name is Silvana. 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 Sorry. Sorry, Silvana. Yeah, <laughs> you've had a tough couple of years. I've been, as I said, I've been watching your videos, and you're still pumping them out there. So you're yep. still pumping them out there. So where are Only you? Only took at? one week off. And where are you at at the moment on your path? Like, like, <clears throat> where do you think that you are right now? What are you learning about? What, what's speaking to you? Yeah. Well, I still have a lot of stuff that I'm working on, um, growing out of healing, whatever you want to say. <clears throat> I spent so much time healing um, some of the more uh, surface level things that uh, infect us, such as um, you know, irritation, anger, uh, triggers like that. Um, have sort of disappeared from my reality. So like, it's, it's very difficult or very rare that I ever get triggered to anger mm -hmm. or frustration. Um, but the things I'm working on now are like very um, primal foundational things that of what it means to be a human. So like um, <clears throat> attachment to your body, attachment to your looks, mm -hmm. um, attachment to your story or identification mm -hmm. with your story. Um, those kinds of things of like, you know, the, the person, the story that the ego identity, those things, you know, they die hard that they, they don't want to let go. And so, um, as you go through the journey of self-realization, it's, it's so interesting because you'll work through something, you'll heal something and transcend it. And then you have a period of really enjoying that new freedom. Mm -hmm. And then the ego doubles back on you and starts throwing a huge temper tantrum and, all the demons come out of the woodwork and it throws everything at you, everything in the kitchen sink, because what it's trying to do is to get you back on the fish hook again. Right. It's like, Oh, you, you detached from this part of your identity. We can't have that, man. We need that part of your identity. That's what gives us a lot of strength. So let's revisit that. And you'll, you'll start to experience perhaps a lot of really dark, sinister thoughts. And uh, what that is, is ego trying to basically scare you away from, chasing freedom and saying, look, it's too scary out there. You need me. You can't live without me. You need this attachment. You need this identity. So just come home, sweetheart. We'll be good to you. you know. And so you've got to stay really strong and know who you are and know that freedom is possible. This is just uh, another trick of ego. It's not, it's not forever, um, but you have to be vigilant enough to not give it your attention and energy 
otherwise you do fuel it and it does grow more powerful. So there is a, a lot of like a yo-yoing that happens, at least for me, where I'll get pushed and pulled back into something before I finally am able to step out of it. Um, and so I don't know how long that's going to continue. I'm not in a rush. I'm not, um, I'm not saying, oh, I need to be totally liberated or I won't be happy because that's just more suffering. That's more ego. I just look at it like, what is, what is coming up right now asking to be healed? That's my focus. Will I, will I attain total enlightenment in this lifetime? I don't know. My arms are wide open to, to that or to suffering. Um, I'm not in resistance towards, towards that suffering um, because I've learned that lesson that that's just more suffering. So I accept whatever happens, whatever comes up. Um, I, I feel the pain, but I know that the pain I'm feeling is an illusion. It's not my true nature. It's a story that I believed in that's causing me this pain. And um, I think that in, until you know that that's what's happening, then you, know, you don't have the ability to, to heal something like that because those roots of identity go so deep, psychologically speaking. And um, you know, everyone's journey is different, but I think that at some point we all have to tackle those final kind of big demons on the journey. And um, so that's kind of where I am right now. And just, just being on that part of my journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what I want to say about that is um, for someone that's been doing it for a couple of years longer than you, uh, what I found is going back to the resistance. Even the idea of healing something is the idea of resisting it. So like, why do you want to heal it? Why can't you just love it and say, thank you? Do you know what I mean? There's like a slight tweak in that. And that's where I go back to loving the ego. So I still get indulged in thoughts like, you know, try aging. Like aging really is damaging to the ego that says, right. <laughs> I am this body and I'm youth and I'm supple and I'm fit and I'm, you know, invincible. I'm losing my value as I age. Yeah, right. And so like, I'm not as pretty as I used to be. I'm not as thin as I used to be. I'm not as agile as I used to be. And the ego can kind of get a hold of that mm -hmm. and say, you're not good enough. You know, you're not enough. You're not, you know, you don't look like you, what you used to look like. Like aging is such a lesson in unconditional love because mm -hmm. can you love your aging body? Can you love your, you know, your limitation? Can you love it and not try and overcome it? Like you see people that try and overcome aging, right? And they have all this plastic surgery and then they look like monsters. Right. Because <laughs> they're trying to heal themselves of aging. You know, they're trying to overcome mm -hmm. the aging process. Mm -hmm. And again, there's just something about this limitation that we experience, call it ego or call it aging or call it illness, that we can actually appreciate and love and be grateful for. And mm -hmm. so when I have negative thoughts like, oh my God, I'm so fat, I really should get off the couch and like exercise and be young and fit and look like Aaron Abke. <laughs> 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 like, look like that again. And then I go, oh, calm down. <laughs> you know, people, you're going to love yourself more if you're fit and healthy or people going to yeah. love you more. I had a, my sister-in-law's mother who was totally obsessed with looking good. She, her catch cry was, oh, darling, you simply have to keep up with appearances, she used to say as she'd swing her hair. She had always had this little short. She used to swing her hair. And then she would tell me how fat I was and that I needed to lose weight. And I'd say to her, <laughs> oh, Joni, will you love me more if I'm thinner? And she goes, no, of course not. And I said, well, then does it matter? <laughs> and why do I need to be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we kind of 
get caught. That's where we get caught with this self-judgment, I think. Yeah. Now you're looking at the time. I know we've been yakking for ages. There's so many places we could go, but I think we should wrap it up and you can go and have a nice cup of warm lemon and ginger tea. <laughs> there, that sounds good. <laughs> someone sent me, I don't know if this works, but someone sent me, it might be synchronicity. Someone sent me, oh my Lord, look at that 1111. Oh, nice. Uh, someone sent me a video last <laughs> night. She had, she said that she had the um, virus. She didn't go to the doctor and get um, diagnosed, but she had this terrible chest infection and she oh, did wow. a onion poultice. So she got raw onions and crushed them up in a tea towel or a rag. And then she tied the rag up and she put the onions down her jumper. And she wow. said she had instant relief. You can wow. try that. You could try that. Look, it's just an it's something someone sent me last night. So I'm passing on the information. Just onions? Onions, yeah. I'll send you the um, video. It's just a woman talking about how she didn't go to the doctor and get drugs. She did this onion poultice. So she had Googled and looked up um, old remedies to fix a chest infection. Uh, and um, onions was what came up. And so she made an onion poultice and she said she had in instant relief. So... Maybe that's something you Well, this try. is my fourth week with bronchitis, so I'm willing to try yeah, anything. Yeah, you've had it for a while, right? Yeah. What are you learning I'm just glad the strep it? is gone, though. Yeah. So you had a strep inf infection. Was it in your throat? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It was, the, it was the worst my doctor said she'd ever seen. Really? Yeah. My throat was uh, hamburger meat, man. It was hard to look at. Hamburger meat. So why do you think you've attracted this or created this? Like, what's the... <laughs> Like what's, what's coming up for you? What's the lesson? What's, well, what's I think the... it was a, it was very much an answer to a prayer, so to speak of right. uh, certain things I was trying to heal mm -hmm. uh, that I couldn't really contact like parts of um, my past uh, inner child work stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I knew there was a lot of roots in my, from my childhood and adolescence um, that I couldn't get in contact with. And I had a really amazing experience um, being so unbelievably sick and this is the sickest I've ever been. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't even swallow my own spit. I was spitting into a cup for a week. Wow. Um, and I would have to drink lukewarm vegetable broth through a straw just so I could take medicine. Right. Cause you just can't take medicine on an empty stomach. And so, you know, every time I'm swallowing, it's like shards of glass going down my throat. Mm -hmm. So I'm in a really dark place. I'm in a really low vibration. And I had this experience uh, one of those nights. I, I'd never slept the whole week. <clears throat> Just kind of stare at the ceiling. And um, I would kind of drift in and out of sleep. And as I woke up from one of those um, drifting off, I had this amazing like shadow work experience where all of a sudden um, the memories I'd been trying to access but couldn't mm -hmm. access were like in full 3D Technicolor. Wow. And I remembered a lot of stuff about, especially my teenage years, that um, ingrained a lot of my conditioning of unworthiness and all that, right. um, that I literally have not remembered for like 15 years. Um, and maybe like I conceptually remembered that certain events happened, but I had not contacted the feeling state or the state of consciousness of that teenage kid for 15 years. And so I like relived those events from that perspective again, and all this release happened. I mean, it was just an incredible experience. It was about an hour of doing that. Wow. And I felt like a new person that next day, like I'd, I'd offloaded so much emotional baggage. So I think kind of like the coronavirus, I needed to be in that super low vibration to access those super low vibrational memories that were being kept away from me. So in the end, I said, 
thank you. That was exactly what I asked for. Wow, that's so beautiful. I love the way you put that. I needed to be in that vibration to access those memories. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. In order to access those memories, what you resist persists, what you look at disappears. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in order to access, in order to look at them, thank them, like thanks for the ride, kids. See ya. Yeah. Uh, you had to actually bring yourself down to that vibration. And so illness yes. gave you that, you know, like terrible illness. Cause you, yeah. so as you say, you're a pretty happy guy these days. Yeah. So you had to have like huge contrast to bring you down to that level. Bingo. Wow, that's so interesting. That's really interesting. See, there is no good or bad, is there? Yeah. There's always purpose to everything. Absolutely. Oh, I think the mm -hmm. coronavirus is really doing a fabulous job of all that, you know, like I think I, we'll I put see out, it soon. I put out a video like you, I experienced some of the worst flus I've ever had in my 30s and in my 40s. And my guides just said to me, just be still, be still. It's just all part of this ascension process. As I was letting go of the limiting ideas about myself, mm -hmm. I experienced some worse flus. And um, it didn't make sense to me that I needed to experience such, because I remember my, I sent my husband off to the chemist to get some drugs and he came back with like, I don't know, painkillers. I'm chomping on painkillers like they're going out of fashion and it wasn't relieving yeah. any, any pain. And he says, how are you? And I literally said to him, please shoot me. And I meant it. Like I yeah. just meant it. Like, please put too. me out of my misery. Yeah. And yet my guidance was just be still, just be still. It'll be over soon. Just, you've just got to go through this. And I didn't really understand at the time, yeah. but there was a clearing through all of it. There was a, there was a clearing, an emotional clearing and a toxic physical on a toxic level, a physical clearing. Like the body was doing its darndest to rid itself. Yeah, to move energy. Diarrhea, yeah, vomiting, sweating, you know, coughing up phlegm. Yep. It's all part of the body detoxing. And so shifting, like shifting my physical structure as well as my emotional, spiritual. So I sort of see the coronavirus, you know, if there is this coronavirus, like kind of maybe that's what's happening too. Like, you collectively, know, absolutely. Collectively, there's this detoxing thing going on. So, yep, we need it. Oh, darling one, I could talk to you all day, but I'm going to let you go. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> you're just divine, gorgeous, beautiful, wonderful. And I just love what you're doing. And I hope, you know, maybe try the onion poultice. Maybe that will give you a little bit of relief. And I do have onions, so I just might yeah, do that. Give it a go. I can send you this. I can send you this um, thing, this woman talking. I don't know. I yeah, can't say do. that it works or if it doesn't, but. I'll let knows? you know. <laughs> give it a go. And any last thing before we go, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been such yeah, a no, joy. Just thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I could talk to you. I want to do this again. Can we do this again? Oh, we'll do it again for sure. Because there's so much more to talk about, you know, the law of one, the course of miracles, like just bring it all together in this cohesive, comprehensive understanding that we can all digest, all, yeah. wrap, our, all wrap our heads around. And yeah, any last messages for people listening? Just stay safe out there, guys. <laughs> Not the time to be going out right now, but we'll get through it together very soon. Thanks again. Thank you, Karen. Much love. Well, how good was the delicious Aaron Abke? Aaron, I would say Aaron. Aaron Abke. Just wonderful. I could have talked to him all day. But anyway, we were just... We just started talking about, I said, oh, I didn't get around to asking you about what you think God is. And 
and um, all sorts of things, the law of attraction and the understanding of God. And so we said, well, we'll do another show on what is, how does law of attraction and God sort of dovetail together as from religious perspective, understanding and spiritual understanding and new age understanding, you're like just marrying all that information. I thought that that would be a good show topic, God and the law of attraction. <clears throat> anyway, could have talked to him all day. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you, there were some understandings. You got some aha moments from that. Um, anyway, if you watch his YouTube channel and watch all his millions of emails, um, not email shows that he's put up, he kind of goes into a lot of it. As I said, he's got the whole series on the law of attraction. He's got a series on the Course in Miracles, his favorite, and the law of one material and much more. There's so much to watch on his channel. If you're at home and bored and eating too much, cake or bread or chocolate or whatever you're eating too much of <laughs> you can watch Aaron I'll fly ah yes beautiful wonderful wonderful as I said when I see people like that out in the world putting their information out there I can sort of I feel like I can relax and just leave it up to the young ones to sort of inspire our world and just relax and have a cup of tea all right, what else do I want to say to you? Hope you're all well and enjoying the shift, our shift in perspective that we're going through, the unity that we're going through as we explained on the show. Another upgrade to humanity, this virus. I actually don't even think it's the virus itself, the illness perspective that is unifying us. I think what's going to unify us even more than the health perspective is the monetary ramifications of this. So my girlfriend rings me the other day and says, well, my two daughters are crying and they're upset because they've lost their job. But like, they're not alone, right? Anyone that's worked in an industry that's an events industry or shops or, you know, any industries that are close, sporting industry, girlfriend in, who works in the movie industry, like everything's just been shut down because all these industries uh mean that we come together in groups and work together like any industry where we come together in groups offices and everything they've either been shut down or they're all working from home so we're unified in that perspective that we're all experiencing this shift in our reality our current reality whether it be i'm now working from home instead of in the office or i've lost my job and i have to move in with mum or whatever it is my daughter has escaped this reality by going off with her crew on a boat and she's out to sea she's doing self-isolation out to sea with a small little group of people on a catamaran swimming with the whales and the dolphins and the seals and mother oceans marine life and having the time of her life and not worrying too much about it but she'll soon have to come back to land and because you know she worked in a service industry so she lost her job as well and the guy that owns the boat he hires out the boat to have parties on Sydney Harbour and they put all these boats together and all the kids get out there and dance and get drunk and eat and I don't know if they do too much eating but they party on these boats so that industry came to a screaming halt so they just got on the boat and said right we're out to sea and they're out to sea just around Australia because they can't leave Australia they can't cross borders I don't even know if they can cross state borders at the moment but ah oh, it's a crazy old world we're living in crazy and exciting at the same time hope you're enjoying it and not suffering too much through this change in our reality nothing's ever going to be the same again it's a bit like Aaron said about the internet there you know when the internet was born nothing was ever the same again but 
it was really good. There was some bad and there was some good. The same with what's happening. We live in fascinating times. Thanks again for watching the shows and liking and subscribing and sending your emails and sharing them. Remember to please share the shows and um, you know help us grow, grow the message, spread the message. Love you all. Thanks again for watching. Bye for now.